the Lord saying that your passion burns bright but not for the right things your passion is burning bright for things in this world and things things at school things that that man looks at the outward appearance you're so passionate about those things but when it comes to spending time with him you just don't do it and you're not passionate about the things of God because if if you were you would really be overcoming that empty, lonely space in your heart that you've been trying to fill with everything else. And he says, it's time to burn for me. Burn bright and the whole world will see it. But more importantly, he will see it. Sing, we cry holy.
speed like a flame Fill our souls with your desire Let our passion bring you fame Oh, Jesus Oh, Jesus I pray, God, that you would help us to burn for all the right things and that we would be burning for your gospel and burning for your truth and burning for your grace on this world that is so quickly falling apart, Lord. We see violence in our nation and we, we see the things like like money becomes such an idol to us, God, and we'll chase after it and we'll do stuff for it, God. But you're telling us to love you with such a passion that we would forsake all, we would pick up our cross and we would follow you. And so I pray that today we would take that seriously and we would do that. Hallelujah, Jesus. We just praise your name and we want to give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise because you are holy and worthy. And we just say this all in an attitude of prayer. And everybody said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. God, you are good. Hallelujah. 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 We shout for the Lord for he is good. And if we don't shout, the rocks are going to do it for us. And I don't want to let the rocks outcry me. Hallelujah. All right, I want to take this moment to just preach the gospel to you because it is the power of life. In 1 John 8 and 9, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's for all of us. And we were once sinners. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it says here, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. That is, that is such a beautiful promise that we can stand on, that, that God is so good that he made a way that we can be right with him. And he will purify us from all unrighteousness, and righteousness comes from God alone. And so if that is for you today, just know that if you are living in sin, if you are hiding sin, God knows. He is omnipresent. He is with you always. And so I would take this time to confess your sins before God. We are going to have a couple of prayer workers up here at the stage during our fellowship time, and they will pray with you if you want to get right before God today. And just hold on to that. When you have asked for forgiveness, when you repent before God, he forgives you. But now that means that you have to change and make him the Lord of your life. You cannot go living in sin because if you claim you're without it and you haven't repented, then you're still living in sin and the truth is not in you. So don't lie to yourselves and don't lie to God because he already knows. But if you are living free from sin... Praise the Lord with all your soul, for he is good. Amen. 
So I'm going to pray for you guys before um, we recite our confession of faith. Lord, I just thank you, God, for your word that gives us promises. God, I pray for those who are living in sin in this place, God, that they would be free from it, that they would not deceive themselves and that they would not try to deceive you, God, because you see all and you know all. God, I pray that today they would repent and have the forgiveness for their souls, that they may be saved and rejoice with you in heaven where, where they belong with you. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. All right. Um, we're going to recite our confession to, of faith together on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Give him a high five, a hug. Tell him you're happy to see him today.
so good to see all of you guys here. I love feeling the love. Don't you guys love second service? I love you guys. It's such a good feel. Building friendships. It's good to see all of you here joining us for our second service. Thank you for coming and making it happen. Let's keep inviting our friends and our family. I always say that to the first service as well. It's all about sending out that invitation, praying for our loved ones, and believing that God's going to bring them here to be with us. Amen? To worship the Lord together. So welcome to MPI. Our services at Metro Praise International are every Sundays at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. This is our family service. We have uh, King's Kids in the back for our children, infant to 11 years old. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m., 11 to 18 years old. That's our, our youth service for our teenagers. God's doing awesome things at Elevate. And we're going to believe that they're going to win their high schools, that revival will come to our schools in Chicago in Jesus' name. Amen. We have our, our Easter service that we want to get you guys prepared for. March 27th for 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. It's going to be Abundant Life Easter service. We have flyers ready to be passed out, so the ushers are passing them out to you. We want you to grab a whole bunch. Look to your neighbor say, grab a whole bunch. Okay? Start passing them out. Give them to your waiters and waitresses, co-workers, friends at school. You know, it's awesome if you decide to leave it, you know, at places of businesses or on your bus uh, the seat or on the train. But we also want to have you guys make a personal contact, even if it's a total stranger. Try to make a personal contact and say, we want to see you guys. I would love to see you at the Abundant Life Easter service at Metro Praise. So take a whole bunch of those. We're going to have a children's presentation that day. We're going to have free family portraits. And how many of you guys know it's all about Jesus? It's all about the cross. And not only do we celebrate Jesus' death, burial, resurrection on that day, but it's every day of our life. And that's why we want to have people come here to hear about that so their life gets transformed. Amen? So let's do it together. MPI has a vision, a strategy, and a goal. Our vision is loving God and loving people. How many of you guys love doing that? With all of your heart, loving God, loving people. Our strategy is to connect you, mentor you, and to send you. We want to connect you to our life groups. Throughout the week, there's so many life groups that are happening. Mentor you through the 101 and the 201 books. And then we want to send you out to do evangelism so we could continue to win souls and make disciples. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If that truly gets you excited, say amen. So let's learn about the connect phase. Somebody say connect. We want to connect you to life groups, connect you to Jesus and to the church through these life groups. If you turn your handouts uh, to the back, you'll see the schedule of our quarterly life groups. January, February, March is a schedule for that. Find a place to belong with your family. Pick a place, devote to it, be faithful to it. You will see your family grow, your personal life grow. You will be impacted in your walk with God by connecting to the church that God has called you to be a part of. And if God has called you to be a part of here, get connected. So look to your neighbor and say, it's time to get connected. Come on. So kicking it off today, we have our single moms meeting at 5 p.m. Give it up for our single mamas. Tuesday, we have the resistance. Woo, I couldn't even finish. Resistance youth, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. here at the church. They're rocking it out. Wednesday, we have righteously redeemed, 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. They're rocking it out too. And then every week on Wednesdays, we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, 6.30 here at the church. Awesome ministry for our children. If you are parents that have children in that age group, you got to bring them here on Wednesday nights. This is a place for them to be, to grow, to be around other children that love Jesus. And we have the best children's workers ever. And then every week on Thursdays, we have our gang outreach, 18 years and up, preaching the gospels on the streets. Uh, 
join them. It's a powerful ministry going out and getting the young people and preaching the gospel to them. Every week on Friday, we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house. 18 years and up, 7 p.m. If you're an adult, you should be at those Bible studies. No excuse. Fellowship with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Reconnect with each other. Get encouraged in your, in your walk with the Lord. And then Saturday, the Ambassadors Youth, 11 to 18 years old, 3 p.m. Come on, represent Ambassadors. Yes. We had three little, we had the three youngest girls from Elevate representing the Ambassadors in the first service. And they're back there just, yay. It was so cute. But we love the Ambassadors. We love all the youth life groups, all these life groups. So just connect, guys. We do this for you. These are leaders running these life groups to open up their homes to you, to open up their life so that we can be the body of Christ throughout the week and really live and shine for Jesus. Amen. Somebody say mentor. The 101 book is called Welcome to Your New Life. This happens one-on-one -on -one with leaders that have been trained, that have been ready like Marines, ready to take you through this book to encourage you in your walk with the Lord so you can be truly discipled, so you can be strong in your faith. And then when you graduate 101, you get into the 201 class called Disciples That Make Disciples. How many disciples do I have? How many of you guys want to make disciples like how you've been made a disciple? That's the command Jesus told us. And so we have a Sunday morning class with Pastor Jared, Thursday evening with Pastor Ellie. We train you guys to be leaders in the church. Then we want to send you out to do evangelism every Saturday from 5 to 8. We have foot soldiers on the street preaching the gospel. If you want to be encouraged in your walk with the Lord, if you need to be refreshed, you want to get to another level in your walk with Jesus, join them out there. Be obedient to God's command. We believe so much in evangelism, street witnessing, preaching the gospel through the highways and the byways because we believe that every person needs to hear about Jesus and it's our responsibility to make that happen. And just like I shared in the first service, the Bible says he who wins souls is wise and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So how many of you guys want to be wise? Win a soul. If you want to be refreshed, go out and refresh others and there's no better way to refresh somebody than telling them about Jesus. So in recap, Metro prays as a vision, a strategy, and a goal, a vision of loving God, loving people, a strategy to connect, to mentor, and to send you out, and a goal of 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace and power, say amen. Come on, that gets me excited. How are you guys ready to continue our act of worship to the Lord with tithes and offerings? Nobody. Amen. I am. I am ready. <laughs> Thank you. We believe at MPI that a tithe is 10% of your total income given to the church regularly. We designate offering towards missions and building, and an offering is an amount between you and Jesus. There is no compulsion of an amount for you to give. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, and we shouldn't give under pressure. It's what God shared with you to give towards these areas, and we love giving to missions. We love missions, preaching the gospel, getting the word out to the ends of the earth, and then a building fund that we're currently in to raise the new um, the money for the new band equipment. As you guys can see the stage has been built let's give it up Nico can you please stand up really quick don't leave give it up for this man let's give him a standing ovation right now please everybody stand to your feet Nico built this stage with his bare hands along with Carlos that was his name right Carlos Bertha's father from the first service I mean what an honor we thank you thank you thank you so much and I'm going to let my husband carry on the testimony of how it all came together. Um, I'm sure he wanted to do that part too, but I had to do it because he was walking away. Thank you so much. So look what God can do when you guys can be seated. 
When we get together, I mean, we need gifted people like that in the church to make stuff like this happen. And so God brought it together. We thank you for giving. The lights have been put up. So this building fund project, the monies have already, are already being used. And guess what's happening tomorrow? Somebody say tomorrow. What's happening? The sign! It's getting put up. So we just thank Jesus. We thank you guys for partnering with us. God is doing awesome things. So let's get into our lesson, the Disciples Giving Book. Section one, all about tithes. We're our lesson nine. Give you guys a couple seconds to get there. Lesson nine, we should be faithful to tithes. Somebody say faithful. The tithe is 10% of our total income given to God faithfully. We're going to read in Malachi 3, 6 through 8. You can follow the screen or go to your Bibles. Matthew, uh, Malachi 3, 6 through 8. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? How many of you guys think that God takes this subject very seriously? Come on, let's read the three main points. Number one, God never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Though God's requirements from the old to the new covenant may be applied differently to his people, however, his character remains the same. How many of you guys are glad that God doesn't change? He's constant. He's faithful. He is the same. And that's how we should be in our relationship to him and concerning the finances as well. Number two, the tithe remains in place for the New Testament. Unlike the dietary laws and the sacrificial laws of Old Testament, which are clearly fulfilled in the teachings of Christ, the principle of tithing remains intact for today's believers. And that's why we teach it. We believe that it's, it is still there for us to abide by, to give God glory. Number three, if we stop tithing, we must repent for robbing God and return to being faithful. God clearly defines not tithing as robbing from him. Therefore, we are to be faithful in always giving back to him 10% of our income. So I just want to challenge and encourage you, if you have stopped tithing, I want to encourage you to get back to it. Repent before the Lord and say, God, I'm going to let go of this area of my life, and I'm going to trust you because it shows a trust. It shows who you want to be Lord over your finances. Are you going to remain Lord over that area of your life, or are you going to give lordship completely to Jesus? And that's what tithing does. As we re recite that powerful confession, it breaks the attitude of greed over our life. We give lordship to him. Amen? So here's the summary. Return to tithing if you have stopped and make it a faithful practice. Never stop doing it again. Let's apply this in two ways. Number one, repent and return to tithing if you have not been faithful in this command. And two, remain consistent in your tithing out of your love and obedience to God. This is an overflow of your love for him, an overflow of your relationship with him. So if you believe in that, you want to be a faithful tither, a constant, cons uh, consistent tither and giver. Let's confess this over our life together on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel, revealed to Abraham, established in the law of Moses, and is still relevant for today. It comes with a blessing and curse. It must be qualitative, a priority, and a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and his church. If that is you this morning, let's stand up to our feet. Let's prepare to give the Lord our very, very best, our tithes and our offerings. Again, tithe is 10% of our income given regularly to the church. 
We designate our offering towards missions and building. And I just want to remind you on the envelope to be very specific about the amounts that you want to go towards each category. Here are four ways that you could give. Number one, in the bucket during the offering time. Number two, in the wall-mounted drop boxes. Number three, in the back with a credit or debit card. You can see Pastor Jerry today for, for that. And number four, you can go online and use Chase Quick Pay, PayPal, or Bill Pay at mpichurch.org forward slash giving. So we make it very convenient for you. This is our building fund. It's for the new band equipment. If you have not joined us in this endeavor, this year yet, we want you to, number one, pray, ask God what you should give. Number two, listen to what the Holy Spirit says and be obedient. And three, give and give generously. Let's recite this together. Philippians 4:18, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are constant, that you never change. You are faithful. You have set such an awesome example for us. And I pray that we, your children, your people, will in turn remain faithful to you in all areas. We give you lordship over every area of our life. And I pray that you bless the tither, bless the giver today. I pray that you would increase them, increase the, uh, their, in, them in their jobs, their finances, promotions, and raises. God, I pray that your, that your goodness and mercy and love will follow them all the days of their life, that you would bring them favor, that your light would shine upon them, God. And I ask that you would use them for your glory. Use the finances here. Give us wisdom as we apply it to these different areas, God, to, re to preach the gospel, to send out supplies and, and, and the word of God to the ends of the earth, God, to win Chicago. Lord, we thank you for your uh, abundant blessings in our life, and we give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And please come forward as you give this afternoon, and we thank you for your support and your generosity. You come with me. Won't you come with me? Just call out his name. Just call out his name. Say I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. 
Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Good to see everybody here. Sorry about that slow music that almost put me to sleep. Um, I was telling, I was telling uh, uh, Jose, that's your name, Jose. I was telling Jose, we got to keep it hype. How many appreciate coming to church on Sunday and not falling asleep, right? You don't want to fall asleep. Let me just tell you the story about this stage. It was such a God thing. We had put in our budget $1,000 for this stage and uh, $1,000 for the new lighting that we had to do. And we went over the budget on the lighting. And so we had to figure out what was going to happen with the stage, but I knew we had to do it right. So um, I had put in that original budget about 1000 But as we began to price out the flooring and the different things, it was going to be about $3,000, $3,000. And uh, we didn't know what to do. Well, we contacted Nico, who does flooring as a professional, and God favored us through Nico that Nico said, you've got to talk to my boss. You've got to talk to my boss. And I said, what about? He said, just call him, just call him. Well, I call up Nico's boss, and Nico's boss, listen, listen, I had already picked out the color, this color right here. Nico's boss said, I have sitting around my, uh, my shop this wood, the exact same color, for six months, and I want to donate it to the church. Come on, can we give it up for Jesus for that? And I want to thank Nico for that as well because this man's faithfulness enabled us to save tons of money. And then not only did he come to work on this stage three days and two of those days to 1 in the morning, 1.30 in the morning, and then get back up and go back to work. Right, Daniela? He didn't get to sleep in, did he? He had to go right back to work. Not only did he do that, but he brought one of his co-workers with him. And the brother doesn't even go to our church, and he served with Nico. And what is that brother's name? Because we'll just applaud for him as well. Felipe? Let's give it up for Felipe. Didn't even come to the church. Spent three days here. Now, you may say that's just a coincidence with today's message, but I don't think so. Today's message is the conclusion to our spiritual warfare series, and we've been talking about doing what? Standing. Standing and fighting. Standing. And literally, I am standing on a stage that the Lord's people built as a testimony that Christ is victorious. So it was going to cost us $3,000, $3,000. Do you know how much we ended up paying? $350, $350, praise God. Now how many of you today would like to save that kind of money, right? Well, we're going to pray that God will bless your business, that God will bless what you do, that God will prosper what you do, because it's not just for the church. Someone in your company today, someone in your industry today, somebody is going to get those sales, those projects, those jobs. I'm praying blessing upon you. And it's not just as much as we love Nico, and it was amazing that it worked for Nico, but it wasn't just Nico's prayers that opened that door. It's all of our prayers, because every time you give to the building project, it's your prayers going with your finances, right? You're not just dropping in money. You're putting your heart in that, aren't you? Don't you care about what you spend your money on? You do, right? So as you're doing that, your prayers are making a difference. That's why I say to everybody, we don't do pledges here or anything. I just say give whatever you can in the offering. But even if, like it's these young people, even if they just gave $5 a month or $2, do it. Why? Because you will pray and partner with us. Because if you're giving right, when you put that $1 in, let's just say you gave $1 a month to the offering. That's all you did, just $1. You gave your tithes. You said, Pastor, God told me to give a dollar. You give that dollar, you're going to care. 
You're going to pray, and then you're going to see the favor, right? You're going to see the favor in your life, and God bless you. And, and it's so amazing, once again, with the Nico situation, is I remember my dad doing that for so many other people when my dad was in business. My dad was a financial planner. I just remember him doing these things all the time, my mother doing these things all the time. And it was always the mentality in my house growing up is we're blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed us to be a blessing. And I want to tell you what, sometimes my parents went through hard times, and I didn't know how they did it. But they stuck with God, tithing, offering, being faithful to the church. And then over time, they reaped the harvest. They reaped the harvest. So you may not see it at first, but it's faithfulness. Faithfulness brings fruitfulness. Faithfulness and fruitfulness. Amen? And so this stage to me is, is, is like a miracle. It's a miracle to me that I can stand on it today on the last day of the sermon series where it should have cost $3,000, only $300, the work that these men put into it, and then to know that God cares about us. God cares about us. Let me just say this before I move on because sometimes we wonder, does God care about this stuff? God is my witness. My wife will tell you. She went to the office, but she'll come back out. God is my witness. I said, do you even think we should raise money for a stage? Will the people even care about that? I said, you know, I want people to care about what they're giving to. Maybe they'll say there's too many poor people. Why should we get a stage? Why should we change the lighting? What are we doing? Because I didn't want people to think like we're wasting money. I just wanted it to look nicer so that we could say this campus is done and in 2017 start a new campus, right? We want to start 50 and there has to be a type A. There has to be your standard campus. And so here's what three storefronts look like when Metro Praise gets a hold of them. Amen. Literally, have you ever seen a storefront church look so nice? Now, I don't take credit for any of it. I didn't build any of this. I didn't build these walls. I don't. I didn't build the stage, but I'm just telling you, I have been in a ton of storefront churches, and I've never seen them look this nice. The only churches that I see look this nice are in bigger places. They pay a lot of money for that, but to utilize this little of space and maximize it, right, is amazing. So watch. You know, my wife says, no, no, no. They're going to care about that because it's a part of the church they go to. They want it to be to the best. See, this whole time I've been preaching from the floor. I didn't care. I didn't need to preach on the stage because, you know, I like to walk around a little bit, but the band was all tied up there, and they said, no, they'll care about it. And so when we were doing this stage, guess what? That's when we ran up short on the shekels, you know, it's supposed to be about $3,000. And I'm thinking to myself, man, God don't care about the stage. What am I doing? And then when God does that miracle, literally through Nico and those guys, it literally was like Papa was just putting me on his lap saying, sit here. I care about that. I care about that. I'm serious. And I remember my mom telling me stories like that. You know, sometimes she would put her socks on and she would have holes in them. And she would say, you know, God, I don't even know if I have enough money to go out and buy socks. But the Lord would tell her, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you. Be faithful. And so the Lord cares about our socks with holes in them. The Lord cares about our, our, our stage and fitting the band on it. The Lord cares about you and what you're going through. So no matter what, keep sowing, keep giving, and believing. Amen? And then as you guys get on Facebook tomorrow, you know me, I'm going to be taking pictures of that. I hope they come and keep their word because I'm so excited. I might hardly sleep tonight. But I cannot wait to see this sign. This sign is going to be so large and in charge. Getting ready for Easter. Amen. You guys have done it. You guys have done it. Because as we've been praying and believing for this, uh, this is now going to define our church. Now, once again, you just think about it. You go to Jewel. You don't even think about the sign. It's just It has a sign. You know that's Jewel. But when you start a church like us, we don't have a sign. 
And, you know, we, we have been here for four years now. We're coming up on four years. And it's like there's so many other things we had to do before a sign. And then once again, it's like, does, does God care about the sign? Yes, he does. The people got excited. And it's been paid for for I don't know how long, like six months now. We've been going through the permits. But when that thing goes up, now think about this. Is this any coincidence? Any coincidence? I don't think so. Easter is coming up. Now as we're handing out these 5,000 flyers for the most popular day in church, everybody's going to know where Metro Praise is. Nobody's going to know, like, guess, like, where is that place? That they're they're going to know. When you tell them diversity and long and they drive by, they're going to see this long sign. It is literally, just look at this wall here, it is longer than this wall. It goes to the other storefront. So it goes from that storefront, the entrance way, all the way across the top. Like, we did it legit. It was so legit. It is, it is so legit. And it's, like, tall and it's going to Because, you know, I was thinking about abbreviating it to save money, like MPI Church. And I was like, yeah, they, they won't really know what MPI stands for. Then I was like, you know, Metro Praise Church. But I was like, but no, we're international. We have all the nations here. We got to let people, we have the nations here. And then literally when it came out to them charging us, it was like, seriously, it was like $300 a letter. And I was like, I in. T-E-R-N-A. I was like 300, 900, 1200, I was like, I was like, oh Lord. And then it was even a there was even a moment where I was thinking about doing I N T like slash L. You know, like how you can abbreviate an international. And then they're like, and everybody's like, that would be ghetto, Pastor. Just do the whole thing. <laughs> So then literally that's why we end up having to raise whatever it was, like $10,000 to light this place up. So it is going to be amazing. I cannot wait for it to come. And now you put it all together. When people walk in, our guests for Easter, what are they going to see? A brand new sign, the church that is welcoming them, you guys, the stage. It's just going to look like we've been doing this for a while we know what we're doing. Amen? Now, more important things, let's get to the Bible. Are you with me in Ephesians chapter 6? If not, let's go there. Ephesians chapter 6. I love signs. I love stages. But uh, I should say I like them, but I don't love them. I love Jesus, and I love you. Amen? But it matters. I love this stage right now. I just feel like, oh, I just want to do so much for you guys. I preached my guts out in the first service. It's coming to second service. So don't worry. But uh, I just love it up here. It makes it so much easier to do the altar calls, the band, all of that. Okay, now, we've been talking this whole month about spiritual warfare And today we're going to end the sermon series on fight. You are going to learn today to fight. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I want you to hear this. Just look up at me, please. I want to ask you, are you finally ready to be strong in the Lord? I want to ask you that. Are you finally ready? Because I feel like a lot of you started with us a month ago, and you were deciding whether or not you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. Some of you were deciding whether or not you were going to believe the Bible and start living in freedom. So I want to ask you today, are you finally ready to be strong? Or are you going to keep trying to change your life in your own power? Are you, are you finally ready to stand in the power of God and admit you can't do it without Christ? Are you finally ready to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so you don't have to live in sins anymore? Are you finally ready? See, because some of you have been making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, and it's like a broken record. You've been on repeat, defeat, defeat, repeat. Your, your defeat is on repeat. And I want to ask you, are you finally ready to believe the Word of God? Are you finally ready to stop trying to do religion against the devil? Because the devil doesn't care. If praying all the time made you spiritual, then monks there in monasteries would be the most spiritual people, but they're not. You see, you have to get to your heart in your heart today and answer this question, am I finally ready to change? 
do I want God to change me? Because you can't change yourself. Are you finally ready to stop making excuses? Because when I teach today the message, the grand finale about you fighting and winning, if you live in sin, that's your fault. If you give in to temptation, that's your fault. I am not going to be a pastor that fills the chairs with people that amen me all the time and your life remains busted and disgusted. I'm not going to be the kind of person that just tells you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the exact truth. Here it is. Today, you don't ever have to sin again. Today, you don't ever have to lose a spiritual battle again. If you ever do, you better repent and admit it was your fault. It was your fault. It was your mistake. Every time I've ever sinned after being a Christian, it was my fault. It wasn't the devil's fault. It wasn't God's fault. Are you finally ready to take ownership? Are you finally ready to believe that your spiritual growth, your spiritual life depends upon your choice right now? Some people want to say, well, God will make me do it. And then other people say, the devil made me do it. Both of those are lies. The devil can't make you do anything, and God can't make you do anything. Look at the disciples as an example. The devil couldn't make Peter go to hell. The devil tried to make Peter go to hell. He couldn't do it. Jesus said, the devil wants to sift you, but I won't let him do it. And then Jesus couldn't make Judas go to heaven. Judas couldn't go to, Jesus didn't make Judas go to heaven. He said, do whatever you want to do. Whatever you put in your heart to do, whatever Satan put there that you agreed to, you go out and do it. So the devil couldn't make Peter go to hell. Peter ended up going to heaven. He made his decision. And Jesus couldn't make Judas go to heaven. Judas made his own decision to go to hell. You will make your decision. So are you finally ready to stand and make your decision? Are you finally ready to be strong in the Lord? Not in your self-effort, not in your self-righteousness, not saying I'll go to church more, I'll read my Bible more. All of those things may be good, but if reading your Bible more, praying, going to church more would make you free, you would have already been free. Some of you have been to church for a year. Some of you have been in 10 Bible studies, 100 Bible studies, and you're still not free. You're living in sin, and you're making excuses. And you say, well, God forgives me, God forgives me. But that's not how you're supposed to live. Jesus said, uh, Paul said here, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord. Is your finally today? That's what I want to know. Is your finally right now? Are you going to finally say, I believe this? Are you going to finally say, I'm tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of being defeated. I'm tired of believing lies of the devil. I'm going to believe what God said. Because your finally needs to come. Some of you, sadly, it's going to take another year. Some of you will go through the same mess you're going through right now for another year. And I'll meet you here in 2017 and you'll still be in defeat. I can show you pictures right now of people in the church that have left, still contact me, say they're coming back, and they're in defeat. And they think that God's pleased with that. No, God is not pleased with that. You are not getting a free ticket into heaven because you just simply ascribe to Jesus some mental belief like, oh, I believe in Jesus like people believe in Abraham Lincoln. You are to finally decide once and for all, I am who God said I am. You see, if you believe the book of Ephesians chapter 6, and that means you believe Ephesians chapter 2. Can I hear an amen? Ephesians chapter 2 makes it simple. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You were dead. Without Christ, you were dead in sins. Are you, if, you were here, if you're here today and you're not living for Christ, you're dead in your sins. Are you tired of doing that? Do you want to get born again? Now, if you are here and you're born again, are you tired of living like you're still a sinner? Are you tired of that? When do you look at yourself in the mirror and say, finally, my day has come. I will be strong in the Lord. Finally. I get it now. It's not about me. It's not about my self-help. It's not about me trying to fix myself. It's not about me listening to more Oprah Winfrey or more people on TV. I decide to trust in God today. Because if you're going to get to your finally, you've got to understand you're dead and Christ is alive. That's what you've got to understand. 
You're dead. Christ is alive. Without Christ, you will die and perish eternally in hell. Spiritual death and physical death. The death of your body proves to you that you're spiritually dead, and then your soul will suffer forever in hell. Those of us who have been born again, the death proves to us that Christ has changed us and the body gets resurrected again. See, my body doesn't stay dead. I'm resurrected with Christ. That's why Christ raised from the dead. So as for you, you were dead in sins in which you used to live. But you see, some of you still live. You still live in sins because you haven't finally decided to be strong in the Lord. You don't believe this yet. You don't believe that there's literally a difference between light and darkness. You don't believe there's a difference between being a sinner and being a saint. You think believing in God is like believing in some politician, and over time he'll make you better by giving you some promises and free stuff. That's not Jesus. You either are dead or you're alive. You're light or you're darkness. You're either in truth or you're a liar. You're either a sinner or you're a saint. Those of us here who have been saved can say, yep, that's who I was. I was dead. I was dead in my sins. I used to live in them. I followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now in those at work with those who are now disobedient. So if you're not born again, what spirit's at work in you? What spirit? Satan's spirit. If you're not born again, what spirit is at work in you? The devil's spirit. Let's read it again. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. If you're disobedient to God, what spirit's at work in you? That's right, you may not be demon-possessed to the point where you don't have your faculties, but what do you believe? What do you believe spiritually? You believe what the devil teaches. You are a part of his kingdom. You are in his realm. Now, if you're a Christian, can the spirit of Satan and the Holy Spirit be in you? Is Jesus sharing your heart with the spirit of Satan? So why would you still live like Satan? What this is is a problem of identity. If you say you're a Christian, but yet you're living like the devil, you're either lying or you have a problem with your identity. You don't know who you are. My child is a wyrostic, as I like to say in the Polish enunciation, a wyrostic. But my little one, Zoe, she's two years, almost two years old, she eats crumbs off the floor. Why? Because she doesn't know who she is. As I've said before, she doesn't know that her parents provide her the best of foods at McDonald's and Burger King and Little Caesars. And she doesn't know. She doesn't know who she is because she's a child. She doesn't know who she is. Now, thankfully, we teach her. We're gracious with her. But all of you here are of the age of consciousness. You know who you are and what you're supposed to be. So if you are eating the crumbs from the devil's floor and not sitting at the table of God, whose fault is it that you're starving? Whose fault is it that your spirit is dying? Whose fault is it that you feel weak? Whose fault is it that it's so hard for you to get up and go to church? You know, it's so hard for you to live for God. Is that God's fault that it's hard for you to live for him? No. It's because you have the spirit in this world at work within you. You are set to fail because you are damned. You are going to perish. You do not have Christ. All of us, verse 3, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Your brain is not your mind. Your mind is a part of your soul. Your soul will live on after your body dies. Your body has senses. Your body has organs. Your brain is a part of your body. Your brain produces thought, and your mind produces thought. That is its language. You can listen to your brain, or you can listen to the mind of Christ. 
How do I know this without even looking at the Bible? Look at your own self. Do you ever argue with yourself? Do you ever decide whether or not you'll eat or not eat, even though your body is sending signals to your brain that you're hungry? See, you're not a creature of instinct. Even though you feel instinctual thoughts or feelings, you have a controlling agent called your mind, your soul, that makes the decisions. But without Christ, you give in to your flesh. You give in to its desires for sexuality, greed, anger. If a man here doesn't serve God and he gets punched in the nose, he's going to feel all these thoughts of anger and rage. He will act on that and punch the man back. The man who's serving Christ and can control himself, he'll get punched in the nose and be patient and forgive the man. You see, it's the same thing with adultery and and sexuality. The person that has no control of their flesh will feel their hormones, will feel the pheromones, the things of their physical body, the thoughts of desire, and it doesn't matter if they're married in a relationship, whatever. They'll have sex. They'll break the command of God. But the man or woman of God, who may have the same hormones, the same pheromones, may be tempted, but will not listen to the cravings of their flesh, will not listen to those things. Why? Because they decided to be finally, at some point in their life, finally, they decided to be strong in God. Instead of making excuses for their flesh, my flesh made me do it. No, it didn't. Your flesh did not make you eat that ice cream. You decided to eat that ice cream. Your flesh had a craving, but you gave into it, and it's the same exact thing with sin. And so it says, at one time we all were there, living in the flesh, giving into its desires and thoughts. Now listen, like the rest, we were by nature, by our nature, deserving of what? Wrath, deserving of the punishment of God. Does God feel sorry for sinners? No, what happens to sinners? They get the wrath of God. They get the wrath of God. Do you understand that, that you deserve the wrath of God before you came to Christ? Now, does Jesus feel sorry for us and pity us? No, but he has genuine, true love for us. And genuine, true love sent the Son. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, right? So God loves us that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you do not repent, you will suffer the wrath of God. Why? Because you have given into the cravings of your flesh. You have followed its sinful desires and its thoughts. You had the spirit of the devil working within you, and you were dead in your transgressions. Now, that's what Paul said. And then what did he go on to say after that? But because of God's great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sinners. It is by grace you've been saved. So that means sinners who are dead in Christ were made alive on the cross. Their debts have already been paid. So if they go to hell, it's not because Christ did not pay for their sins. It's because they did not give their life to Christ. Imagine me saying, I have paid off all of your debt. All you have to do is sign right here, and your debts are paid. I paid the debt. It's already done. What you have to do is sign your name. Who here would not sign their name? Who here would not say, I want my debts to be paid? And that's exactly what Christ asks us. And why do people go to hell? Because they don't think they're sinners. Do you think there's really people going to hell right now that believe they're going to hell? Do you really think that the ones who are going to hell really believe they're going to hell? Like, honestly, like, do, you, do you think they really believe? Like, I'm, I'm really going to a place called hell. I'm going to a place of gnashing of teeth. I'm going to a place where I will be tormented. Do you think they really believe that? 
No, because in their mind, they're not a sinner. In their mind, I don't need to be saved. See, that is why then they are not saved, because they think they're a good person, where in actuality, they are dead in their transgressions. That's why some of you struggle with living for Christ, is because you think you came to Christ as a good person, and he's just going to help modify some of the bad parts of you. Like, you're looking at yourself about 95% good. I don't kill anybody. I don't really hurt anybody. I'm not like these people over here. And so I, I know I need Jesus, but he just really needs to work on this, you know, the little stuff here, these habits that I have, these attitudes. And what you don't understand is, no, you are a sinner. You are on your way to hell. The wrath of God is against you. The spirit of Satan is working within you. You are following your flesh and your cravings and the desires of your flesh. And very by your nature, you are a child of wrath. So who does God save? The self-righteous person? No, Jesus saves the sinner that humbles themselves. See, this person, but because of God's great love for us and his rich mercy, this person is made alive with Christ, and they go, oh, you paid my debt 2,000 years ago, and that's really who I am? Man, I believe that. Yes, Jesus, you can be my Lord and Savior. Yes, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Now, is that person made half alive and half dead? Are they walking around like a mummy, like a zombie? No, they are made what? Alive with Christ. What were they before before Christ? They were dead in transgressions. Now with Jesus, they are alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, by grace you've been saved. Now watch right here. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's good news. That means if you are saved, you are in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. You are protected from the enemy. Not one temptation brought against you will Christ not provide a way of escape. Not one arrow brought against you will the shield of faith not extinguish. So that means today, if you tell me, if you tell me, Pastor, oh, I have believed in Christ, I have been saved, but you're living in sin, that makes you a liar because you're calling God a liar. You're making him look bad. You're making him look bad. And let me just show you here real quick before we go on. 1 John chapter 2 says it so plainly. How many still believe the Bible? How many are glad I, I can show you the Bible today? Amen? I, I can tell you stories or I can show you the Bible. How many would rather see the Bible? Right? We can go to storytelling at the movie theaters, but here's the Bible. Listen to what the Bible says. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a, is a what? Is a liar, thank you, and the truth is not in that person. So let me ask you something. Are you a liar? Because some of you say you know him, but you don't obey his commands. Will you admit you're a liar? Stop saying you know him. Stop saying you do. Because some of you act like you know him, but you really don't. And the problem is you make Christianity look bad. You make it look bad to your community. You make it look bad to your neighbor. And the people around you think you're just like them. But you see, my friend, Christians are not just like them. I've been made alive with Christ. I have been brought into the light. I am no longer darkness. I have been given the Holy Spirit, and the spirit of this age has been cast out of my life. I have been made more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. And greater is he that's in me, that's he that's in the world. And in this world, I am to live like Jesus. And I am not to continue in sin. And I am to show this world that I love him by truly obeying his commands. So are you a liar or are you telling the truth? But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God truly is made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. How do we know that we are in Jesus? How do we know that Christ is truly within us? Whoever claims to live in him must live like Jesus. Now, if I tell you that, and the first thing you get into your mind is an excuse why you can't live like Jesus, something like, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect, everybody make mistakes, you are a liar. You do not know Jesus. 
You do not know what salvation looks like. Salvation is not a partial work. Look at it again. In the work of salvation, Christ raises you up. He makes you alive that he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness of Christ. Now watch this. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So if you think that Christ is working on you like he's chiseling, like, uh, like some sculptor, and that Christ is going to deal with these issues later on in your life, you're absolutely wrong. Christ dealt with it on the cross. It is already finished. When Jesus was on the cross and said, it is finished, he didn't mean partly finished. It is all finished. When he taught us to be perfect, for his heavenly Father is perfect. When he said for us to be holy, for I am holy. When he told us that we were to be blameless, without spot or wrinkle, all of that is today in Christ. You either have it or you don't. He then said, it's not by works that no one can boast. Father Tom can boast about his prayers, his lighting of the candles and all of the incense. But listen to me, I'm tired of watching people pray at bridges and lighting incense and living like the devil. You see, I'll tell you that, not because I'm here to make enemies, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm tired of seeing people pray to a statue, pray to a car to think it changes their life. No, it doesn't. And I'll put my life right in front of their life. Bring them up here. Bring them up here. I'll ask them, when was the last time you looked at pornography? When was the last time you abused alcohol? When was the last time you entertained your fantasies? When was the last time you intentionally told a lie? When was the last time you bore unforgiveness? When was the last time you were unfaithful in your tithes and offerings? When was the last time you were unfaithful to witness and to share God's word? Listen to me, my friend. Religion doesn't change you. Only Christ changes you. The only reason why I am here is because Christ has changed me. How have I made it through my life as a Christian? Even when I've sinned, I've truly repented. Didn't make an excuse. Didn't confess to a man. Didn't do three Hail Marys to get forgiven. I confess to my Father. No excuses. I sin, Father. Forgive me. May your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Period. No excuses. All that you want in heaven, in me, do it now, Jesus. And if Jesus then said to me, lose these friends, I lost those friends. Jesus says, stop smoking. I stop smoking. Stop treating your wife this way. Those things change. Ask my wife, every one of you here that thinks I might live a different life than what you see on this pulpit, ask her about my private life. Ask her if I live in a bad temper. Ask her if I mistreat her. Ask her how I treat my children. Four children, five on the way. The testimony of godliness is real. It is not just for me, by the way. It is for you. Listen to the words again. You claim or, or rather, you interpret it. You're all smart. How many of you can read? How many of you can read? I'm just being honest. R raise your hand if you can read. You tell me what this means. I'll just sit down. I'll just, can I just sit down? We'll just read it together, and you tell me what it means. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. Huh. Well, I think I know what it means, Pastor. This is how we know we're in him that if I claim to live in him, I must live as Jesus did. So today, are you living like Jesus did? Point blank. Point blank. If you're not, repent of your sins because you're going to perish. If you do not live as Jesus did, you will perish. How do I know that? You just read the Bible. You want to know who goes to Okay. Can I just show this? Can I, just, can I show it to you? How many want to see it again? Can I show it to you one more time? Whoever says, watch, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a what? And the truth is not in that person, correct? Right? Now look at here, the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation, who goes to hell? Does Hitler just go to hell? Does uh, murderers just go to hell? Let's look at who goes to hell. 
And let's understand the judgment of God. Here we go. Revelation chapter 20. Let's look here. It may be in 21. Give me just a second. Here we go. Watch this right here. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John wrote uh, five books of the Bible, the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Are you guys with me? That's five books, Gospel of John, 1, 2, 3 John, Revelation. Same guy talking. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, and all... And all who? All liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, who is a liar? The liar is the one who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. Guys, I love you so much. I can't lie to you. I'm not going to hell over you. Do you understand that? Do you understand that there are pastors who are going to hell? There are popes that have been already in hell, okay? There are church leaders in hell. Do you understand that the religion of this world will not save any man? When I set down this microphone, the devil does not care about my position. He doesn't care how much money you make, how much education you have. If we truly believe that we are in a sermon series called uh, Spiritual Warfare, and we truly believe that this man Paul said, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We better believe that we are in a battle against the devil. And the only way we will win is by being truthful and being honest and confessing our sins, being saved and living like Christ. That's it. If you try to say, I don't sin, I don't need, I don't need a Savior, you're a liar going to hell. If you say, I know him, but nobody's perfect, God understands the mistakes that I make, you're going to hell. This is not flippant. This is not a curse. I'm not saying you're going to hell in some flippant way. I'm telling you what the Bible says. That's not, not what it says. Does everybody not see it? You've already seen it, right? In Ephesians, it says that you have the wrath of God upon you. The spirit of this age is at work in you. You are dead in your transgressions. The book of John says that if you claim to know him and don't do it, you're a liar. The book of Revelation says that liars, the immoral, the unbelieving, the vile, they all go to the same place, which is the lake of fire. But thanks be to God, because this is still the introduction, that when we were made alive with Christ, we were born again, we, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I wish right now, without you guys being embarrassed, I wish that every single one of you could write to me your biggest temptations on Facebook so that I could list them out so you would know I am talking to you. I am talking to you. I'm talking to you. This is for everybody. Listen. Let's say you would write me and you would say, my temptation is being addicted to food, lacking self-control. Let me ask you a question. Are you God's handiwork? Yes or no? Yes or no? Are you God's handiwork? Yes. If you're a Christian, are you God's handiwork? Yes or no? Another word for handiwork, look at it right here. Another word for handiwork is masterpiece. Masterpiece. It doesn't say, let me get it into the, uh, the King James Version. Look here. The King James Version, Ephesians chapter, um, let me go here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Let me go to New American Standard. I believe it's uh, workmanship. Where is it? Masterpiece. The message, let's see here. New Living Translation. I like to, here we go, New Living. For we are God's masterpiece. Another word for that is what? 
workmanship. Another word for that is what we just heard here, handiwork. Now, listen, are you God's handiwork that he's still creating, present tense, or are you God's handiwork created, past tense, in Christ? Which one does it say there? For we are God's what? Handiwork created, created. Is he still fiddling around with you to make you a masterpiece, a handiwork? Is he still fiddling around to do that? No, it's already been done. So I would ask you, you're addicted to food? You're addicted to food. Okay, let's be honest. Are you God's handiwork? Yep. Did he create you perfect in him? Yep. So why are you still doing it? Why are you still doing it? Why? Is it a good work to eat food? Yes or no? Is it a good work? Is it a good work? Is it a bad work to overeat food? What did God create you for, to overeat the food or to eat the food right? So when you eat it wrong, are you making God a liar? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Hello. Hello. Let's go through it again. Let's pick another temptation. You say today, Pastor, someone hurt me in my life. They abused me. They hurt me. I'm angry. They deserve to be punished. All that may be true, 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 true. Here's the question. Did you forgive them? Did you forgive them? No, I don't think they need to be forgiven. My problem is unforgiveness, Pastor. Okay, let me ask you something. Did God create you in his, his image? Are you his handiwork? Are you his masterpiece? Is forgiving people a good work? Did he create you to forgive or not to forgive? If you do not forgive, what are you? A liar. Do you understand the devil is a liar and the father of lies? Do you understand that every time you give into a temptation, you are affirming the lies of the devil? Is God gracious to Christians who sin? Yes, I do not believe that we can lose our salvation in flippant sin, but I do believe that God is patient with us and that after a time of refusing to repent of our sin, our hearts become hard. And I'll show you that, and we will eventually lose salvation. But this is the command for those of us. My dear children, I write this to you that you will only sin, not sin every now and then. Is that what it says? My dear children, nobody is perfect, so I write to you to be easy with each other. Don't judge each other too harshly. I write this to you so that nobody will get really puffed up and think they're perfect and try to live holy all the time. Because you know, holy rollers, they all think they're better than everybody. Is that what it says? It says, let's say it together, one, two, three. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. You will not sin. What is a sin? A sin, hermenotoi, in the Greek. Look at it right here. The Greek word for sin literally means to miss the mark. This word right here, to sin. I pushed, pushed the wrong one. Listen right here. This word right here, to sin, hermenotoi, means to miss the mark. You see this? Hermenotoi, hermenotoi, depending on the tense. Listen to that. That word, sin, literally means to miss the the mark, to not do what you are supposed to do. You were given the right plan. You were supposed to do the right thing. A false step. Look at it right here in another way. A false step from or out of the appointed way. A trespass on forbidden ground. What is a sin? You, If you were saved, everybody look up at me. I love you guys so much. If How many are saved? Let me know who I'm talking to are saved. Okay. If you are saved, are you put on the righteous path of God? Psalm 23, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When you are saved, are you put on the righteous path of God? Are you made able then to do the righteous things of God? Yeah, because you are God's handiwork, past tense, finished. I start at the finish line. I start as more than a conqueror. 
I start as Christ's image. I'm not being developed day by day into Christ's image. I start in Christ's image. Christ is in me. I start with the Holy Spirit in me. I'm not trying to earn it. Does everybody get that? You start at the finish line of what Christ wants in you. It's there. Now what you must do is walk in righteousness. So what are the commands of God? The commands of God are the right steps you are to take. What is a sin? What is hermenotoi? A false step out of the appointed way. Lead me. Does anybody believe the Lord's prayer here? What Jesus taught us. Lead me not in, but deliver me from evil. Does that prayer get answered every time or only some of the time? Is there ever a time that you will ever face a temptation and you pray, Lord, lead me not into this, and God goes, come on now. (laughs) Come on now, Mike. You know, you know, you know, you know. It's okay to take that step in temptation sometimes. I ain't going to live you every time, Mike. Go ahead and get you a little sin. Come on, Mike. I'm glad I hope nobody in Mike here, but right? Come on, Mike. Mike, you really think, Mike, come on, ain't nobody perfect, Mike. You know you want that. The devil is a liar. Every sin or temptation you and I face, every one, every single one, we pray this prayer, lead me not into temptation. God goes, here's the path, right out, boom. Here it is. And God shows us the righteous steps. You may say, Pastor, when I'm angry, I can't hear it. That's why I cuss and have to ask God to forgive me. Stop doing it then. Stop making God a liar then because you're acting like God's not stronger than your temper. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Can I show you the power of free will? How many want to see the power of free will? This will be an awesome magic trick. You can show your kids when you get older or those of you who already have kids. You want to see it? I need participation. Are you guys ready? Okay, put up your hand. This right hand, please. Put it up. Now, whenever you want to, you put it now. That's called free will. The entire nature of your spirit, the entire nature of your soul works that same way. The only reason why you think that your temper controls you is because you have given power to the emotions of your flesh. Christ came to set you free from your flesh. Christ came to teach you not to do that. If you look back at Christ and go, but I can't help it, he goes, liar, liar, liar. He says, Satan, get behind me. Get behind me with that. That's a lie. That is not the truth of God's word. That's not what I say. Now, you may say, Pastor, prove it. Can I prove it to you? Can I prove it? How many want to see me prove to you that you can overcome every single sin and temptation? Would you like to see that? Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. When Jesus was tempted for 40 days, was he not? The second Adam. Did not the Bible say he was the second Adam? Anybody ever heard that term before, the second Adam? Can I tell you what that means? The second Adam simply means the first Adam was created perfect in God. The second Adam, Christ, was, uh, the first Adam was created perfect in God, and he sinned. He broke our covenant with God. Jesus came as the second Adam. That means why he was born of a virgin was so that what we lost, he could gain for us as a man. Jesus did not come as a superman. He did not give up his divinity. But remember, he came as a man, God in man. Why did he do that? So that he could be the second Adam. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. Why is that? Because Jesus passed temptation. Jesus passed temptation. Jesus did not give into temptation as a man, as Adam and Eve did, right? So I'm showing this to you. Is everybody following with me? Jesus was tempted three times in the same way Adam and Eve were tempted. 
He was tempted. And what the Bible says in 1 John of the three things, lust of the eyes, lust of the, the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. This is the summary of sin. His three temptations were three separate ones, but in the temptation of Adam and Eve, it was three dynamics. I don't have time to get into it, but just follow me here. When devil came to Jesus, he was hungry. His flesh was hungry. Where do our temptations come from according to what we just read in Ephesians 2? The flesh. Jesus was now in a place to sin. But did he show him a naked woman? No. What did he show Jesus? He showed Jesus bread. Jesus had not eaten or drank for 40 days. And so this was a test of Jesus' flesh. And this is our test. Everybody goes through the same kind of test. Your flesh desires things. It tells you it's okay. It's not so bad. And the devil says, go ahead and get it. But Jesus said, it is written. He used the word of God to combat Satan. Are you with me? Are you guys with me there? Then when Satan came to him, put him on top of a hill, and uh, um, a peak here of a mountain, and said, jump off. Or, uh, excuse me, that was the, the last one. This one, he said, bow down and, no, no, the first one was jump off. Yeah. He, uh, the second one, first one, bread. Second one, jumping off the cliff. He says, uh, jump off the cliff. And, um, no, I keep, I, I'm getting, am I right? I'm getting it. Man shall not by live by bread alone. He led him to a place in the kingdoms of the world. I'll give this in order to, okay, so it is the worship. And then to throw yourself is the last one. Okay, just a little little, little uh, clarification. First one, temptation of his flesh over bread. Second one, to worship him, to get the kingdoms of this world. The third one, to jump off a cliff, right? The bread representing his flesh. The second one was to represent whether or not he could trust God. The devil said, you're all here by yourself. No angels are here. You're used to dwelling in heaven with God, the Father. Why don't you jump off of this cliff and God will prove it to you that he's still here because he caught Jesus in a time of what could be doubt. Do we not face this all the time? You're going through a hard time. You don't think that God is with you. And the devil then wants to try to convince you that he's not because if God does not prove it or do a certain test that you would be right to doubt God. Oh, God wouldn't let you go through this. God wouldn't let you feel this way. See, he would really be there. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, it is written, he said, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God, right? So we don't test God in our times of temptation to say, if you were God, I wouldn't be tested. That's the wrong answer. Wrong answer. Then the third temptation is to worship him, put something else before God. He said, if you worship me, I'll give you the kings of the, of the world. What did Jesus do again? He said, it is written, you shall worship and serve the Lord thy God only. So what this means is you don't put anything else before God. Are you with me? Did Jesus defeat the devil, yes or no? As the second Adam, did he win over temptation? Do you think that has application to you? It does because you are to be just like him. You are to be just like him. Watch this right here. In your struggle against sin, Hebrews 12, 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That happened with Jesus when it was his will versus the Father. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. There on Gethsemane, he was uh, sweating drops of blood, but he chose God's will over his own will. And it says, have you ever done that? Have you ever faced a temptation? You pray to God to deliver you from evil, and the struggle lasts so long that you sweat drops of blood. So you have no excuse any time you're given to a sin. But let's keep going. And you have completely forgotten this word of courage that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his what? Children. For what children are not what? Disciplined by their father. So are you supposed to resist sin like Jesus and consider whatever hardship you face as a good thing? Yes. So if anybody comes to me and says, I have tried to resist sin, but it was so hard, Father. I had to do it. I had to go to the Internet, and I had to look at it. I 
couldn't stop. Are they telling the truth or are they lying? Because if in their struggle against sin they faced a hardship, it's not that God doesn't love them. God is disciplining them. God's saying, you know why it's so hard? You know why it's so hard? Because you make it hard. You make it hard. That's what he's saying. When my, my daughter's asked to do something, and then when she does it like this, and I'll put away the clothes in my room, and I have to discipline her, and she says, I was so hard. I go, no, it wasn't. It was easy. You just made it hard, and Daddy loves you, and Daddy will discipline you until you learn to clean your room with joy. Jesus will discipline his children until they learn to resist sin with joy. Until they learn to speak the word of God with joy against the lies of Satan. Until they do that, God says, one more time around the mountain, Israelites, one more time through your valley, one more time through a broken relationship, one more time through a bad internet account that you keep uh, signing up for, one more, one more. Whenever you get done, I'll be waiting right here. Because our Father still says, I'll deliver you from evil every time, every single time. You ever heard people say, you know, the Lord says he won't give me more than I can bear, but it's really too much that I can bear right now. Have you ever heard that? Or something like that? I know I have. That's a lie, too. God will never give you more than what you can bear. Never. Everybody say never. It's called the Scripture. It's called the Bible. It's called what the Bible teaches. Listen to this. Just tell me if you believe it. Tell me if you believe the Bible. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Anybody here suffering temptation, you are common. It is common for mankind to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. I am tempted. You are tempted. The Pope is tempted. Every single person is tempted. It is common to be tempted. Now listen. And God is, and God is, and God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Oh, come on, somebody. You see, I think some of you are finally, come on, I think some of you are finally ready to stand strong in the Lord's power. I think some of you need to get to the point where you believe Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, finally be strong in the Lord's power. Uh, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Are you ready to do that? Or are you going to keep making excuses? How many of you are done with sin and you're finally ready to live holy for Jesus? How many? How many of you are tired of trying to do it yourself, do it yourself religion, and now you want Jesus to do it in you? Make me righteous, Jesus. Make me holy, Jesus. Change my heart, Jesus. Change my, you know, Jesus is into the change of heart business, isn't he? Heart transplant. He'll do what no one else can do. How many are finally ready to do that? Because some of you may have to go around the mountain a few more times. And you'll blame the church. You'll blame the pastor. You'll blame your flesh. You'll blame the devil. You'll blame your mama, your dada. You'll blame Facebook. You'll blame the Internet. You'll blame Lady Gaga. You'll blame politics. No, 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 no. All those people may go to hell, and some of those people, hopefully not your pastor, but there, there, there'll be a lot of judgment. There'll be a lot of judgment going to those people. But, hey, hey, you're going to stand on Judgment Day for who you are. You're going to stand on Judgment Day for what you did. And, see, Christ said this to us. He said, be perfect, therefore, since your heavenly Father is perfect. 
What do you think that means? Can I just go to that before we go to our, our, our sermon today? Because i got to preach to you today. Amen? This is not the sermon. I haven't even got past the first verse of the, of the thing. I'm so serious. Are you guys ready for the sermon? Let me just finish this introduction up here so we can get to it. Amen? How many believe this? Look at it with this. Um, I'm always pushing the wrong one. 548. 548. There we go. How many believe this scripture right here? What does this mean to you? Let's read it together. One, two, three. Now, what do you think that means? <laughs> what do you think that means? I mean, when, when, when do I be perfect, Jesus? When I die and go to heaven and I'm singing with uh, the angels? No, he told me to do that now. When you read the book of Ephesians, I don't even have time to get there, but Ephesians has blessed me in so many different ways. That's why I love this part, the first part, finally, is look at who he writes to right here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Are you a holy person? If you're not, you're not going to heaven. Only holy people get to go to heaven. Are you holy or not? Who are you? I'm asking you, yes or no, are you holy? Do you know that saints, saints are not people that are in heaven in one sense. Saints are those who are already here on earth. Look at it in the old King James or in a different, uh, the older version. The word holy just means saint. That's where we get the word from. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints which are at Christ Jesus. Is this Saint Cleopas or whatever? Is this Saint Joseph? Who? No, the saints that are at Ephesus. Are there any saints here today? Are you liars? See, how do you know you're not a liar? How do you know you're not lying? How do you know? Hello. How do you not know you are a liar? How do you know? How do you know? Because you what? Because you live like Jesus. How many want to live like Jesus? So that's where we fight. Finally, I want to live like Jesus. Finally, do you want to live like Jesus? Let me just preach it a few more times before I preach it. Let me just... It, say it before I say it, or spray it before I say it, as some preachers do. I, I made a little bit of a mess today, too. I was yelling and hollering. Say it one more time. Are you finally ready to live like Jesus? Are you finally ready to obey all of his commands? If you are not, you cannot fight a battle. You are already defeated. You have already lost the war. You have nothing now but defeat. You are dead in your sins, and you have lost. How many believe that you are victorious today in Jesus? Amen? I'm going back to our sermon. Where's my sermon? Can you get yeah, Thank you. I don't know where I went. I was, like, was going to ask you the same question over and over again. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you? Until I can find that thing. Finally. How many of you all think it's finally we get to the message? Seriously. How many, how many of you think right about now you're like, come on, finally, I'm ready, Pastor. How many are ready to be strong in the Lord? Finally. How many are finally ready to believe who God said you are? Finally. You, you've been convinced. You don't want to go to hell. You want to live for Jesus. Finally. I'm just going to do it a few more times because I want to look at something. How many are you finally ready to do it? Finally. That means if I see you this week and you're living in sin, I just go, stop doing it. And you'll go, amen. Repent, pastor. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. There, there, there won't be an excuse. There won't be, you know, let me work on it. No, you'll say, yeah, you're right. I'm in sin. Repent. Let's go. Finally. I'm ready. Finally, I want to live for Jesus. Finally, I'm ready to be strong in him. 
Because if he said I'm his masterpiece, I'm going to live like his masterpiece. If he said that I could be born again and be a new creation, I'm going to be a new creation. If he said that I was free from my sin, I'm going to live free from my sin. Finally, I'm going to be strong in who? The Lord and in his mighty power. Now we're ready to fight. Now you're ready for the message. Put on the full armor of God. Who is he talking to, saints? Those who are full of the spirit of God. Those who are strong in the Lord, get ready to fight. Get ready to fight against the devil. Get ready to fight against temptation. Get ready so that you can do what? Take your stand against the devil's scheme. See, you're standing against his schemes. You're not running and you're not denying. Yes, I get tempted. I'm not denying that, but I stand against this temptation. Is anybody else standing with me? Right? For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms, four different types of attacks against us. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. How many are ready to put on the full armor of God? See, if you believe you are who Christ said you are, you're ready to fight. You're ready to put on the armor and stand. Look at put on the armor so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to get knocked out like a punk. Is that what it says? That you'll run like a sissy? That you'll compromise and say, let's be friends with Hitler? So that when the day of evil comes, you may able, be able to stand your ground. Standing on what Christ has already done for you. And after have done everything, what do you do again? S- to stand. And then stand firm then with what? The belt of truth buckled around your waist. The teachings of Christ. The breastplate of righteousness in place. Oh yeah, you got that by Christ. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, you stand in the power of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Wherever you go, you do it for do all things unto Jesus. In addition to this, you take up the shield of faith, which is only able to extinguish the small miniature darts of the devil. Is that what it says? You take up your shield of faith, which can't extinguish all the arrows of the enemy, because, of course, you're going to lose some battles. What does it say? Which can extinguish all, how many of the flaming arrows? All, thank you, the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your faith will extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one all the time. You ever feel like you get hit with a temptation, hits your heart, you start doing bad stuff? Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? Your all fault. Why? You let down the shield of faith. Today, if I start having fantasies about a woman I'm not married to, uh, uh, become unforgiving towards a church member that hurt me or whatever, if an arrow hits me, gets past the shield of faith, whose fault is that? Mine. If I now live in that, and I say I know Christ, but now I'm living in the sin of unforgiveness, living in the sin of idolatry, living in the sin of sexual immorality, am I a liar? I am a liar. I do not know Christ. If I say I know him, I'm a liar. Am I right? This is the Bible. Now the helmet of salvation guards your mind, the mind of Christ in you, and then the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. That's what you fight against. The devil was. What did Jesus use against the devil to defeat his temptation? The word of God. When you are tempted, what do you use? Dr. Phil's advice? What your mother taught you? My grandmother taught me? What do you use? The word of God. 
And the Word of God says, I'm victorious. The Word of God says, I'm more than a conqueror. The Word of God says, I've been made holy. The Word of God says, I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. Word of God says, every spiritual blessing has been given to me. Word of God says, nothing can separate me from the, lo- the, word, uh, the love of God. Word of God says, He sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Word of God says that He delivers me from every temptation and from evil. Word of God says, He's faithful and never let me uh, be given too much that I can't bear. Word of God says that he disciplines me whenever it gets hard so I work out to become a better son or daughter. That's what God says. Do you see how you can win? Every fight, every time. Every fight, every time. And then what do we do? We pray. This is what I was talking about before. A lot of people telling me they're praying, but you're not praying in the Spirit. You're not praying with the Holy Spirit. That's why your prayers don't get answered. You tell me, Pastor, I've come up here and tried that. For some reason, you're not getting what I'm saying. Listen, trying what I'm telling you will only, only work if you put full trust in God. That's it. This is not some little halfway house for Jesus, for us to come here once a week and try to better ourselves. This is not a spiritual gym to make ourselves better and lose spiritual weight on the treadmill of good works. This is a church that proclaims Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ as Lord, and that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And so any man, woman, or child that wants to be delivered from evil has to come in faith. That's the only way you're saved, delivered. And so if you are still in evil, you don't have faith, or now God is a liar. And do we want to go down that road? So you say, I tried faith, I tried God, and it didn't work. Well, the only thing now is you're a liar or God's a liar. I'll say you're a liar. Because the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And I've seen it work too many times. I've seen Christ transform lives too many times. For me now to take your, your little episode and go, well, well, maybe the Bible is wrong. Maybe God's not faithful. Maybe he did give you too much that you could bear because what were you supposed to do? I mean, that girl called you up late at night, and she said she really wanted to do it with you. And, oh, man, you couldn't say no, and you tried, and, oh, man. Well, let's rip that out the Bible then. Let's rip that out the Bible because God's not faithful. And the Lord's prayer's not true because he didn't deliver you from evil. You, you, you prayed? Okay, I believe you. And you really meant it? You meant it? I meant it, Pastor. I meant it. <laughs> That's what it's like being a pastor. That's when the people come to me. I meant it, Pastor. I did. I did. Okay? Let's just, let's, just, let's just work it out. Let's work it out. Either you are a liar and you did something wrong or God is a liar and this does not work. That's why the Bible says to us in 1 John, when you're caught up in these scenarios with people, when, when, when they're doing that stuff to you, you can pretty much know who the liar is. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a Liar, you, you just, you don't have to keep, you know, well, did you pray three times? It's, I mean, how did you really pray that night when you were tempted to look at the pornography or yell at your wife or beat your kids? Did you really? No, I don't even have to go into all that. Liar, liar. Because if you prayed, you wouldn't have done that. See, the difference between you and me, let's just be real honest. Have I sinned? You sinned. Yes, we both sinned as Christians, right? And here's the difference between me and you. I don't lie. Why did I sin? Why did I yell the time I yelled at my, li- my wife? Because my flesh wanted to, and I gave into it, and I did what I wanted to. I did it. I owned it. I yelled. 
I wanted to yield. Why did I entertain a fantasy, an angry thought, a bitter thought? Because I wanted to. It brought me a temporary pleasure. I stepped off my ground that Christ had given me to defend and to keep. I did not pray. I did not seek the Lord. I let myself become weak in my flesh, rely upon myself and my own strength, and I fell flat on my face. And then I repented because I said, shame on me. Shame on me for talking to my wife that way. Shame on me for entertaining a fantasy against the will of God. Shame on me for not being willing to serve my brother or sister. Forgive me, Lord, for I've sinned. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. See, that's what forgiveness looks like. You want to know what forgiveness looks like before we go? Because I think you would like to see it, wouldn't you? Can I show you? Can I show? How many want to see it today? That, you know, when you pray and you really mean it, this is what it, it will look something like this. This is, this is how I know. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm living with my girlfriend, and I ask God to forgive me every night, and I know he does. Liar. Liar. No, no, no. What, no, no. Whatever you're praying is not called a prayer of repentance. No, it's not. No, it's not. Maybe Father Tom taught you that, but that's not what Jesus taught you. Jesus didn't teach you that. When I said my three Hail Marys, it don't matter. You could do Hail Mary all day long. You're sinner, sinner. Liar, liar. Hello. You want to hear what it looks like? You want to see what repentance looks like? Have mercy on me, oh God. Have mercy on me. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. I don't want to keep any here. Wash it all away, Jesus, like a water pressure hose in a dirty parking lot. Spray off all that gum. Spray off all that cook. Wash all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me, Lord. I'm not making a buddy with my, my sin. I'm not keeping the Internet account. I'm not going into her bed tonight. I'm not buying that bottle. I'm not doing what I know leads me to sin. Wash it away. Cleanse me. For I know, for I know, I know, I know my transgressions. I know them. I know them well. I know when I mess up. I know it in my soul because I am a human being made in the image of God. And just like Adam and Eve, when they ate that fruit and they heard God walking through the garden, they knew something wasn't right. They ran and hid. And then God said, who told you? Who told you? And the answer was obvious. No one needed to tell me, God. I know my sin. I know what you told me not to do. And I did it, oh God. I did it. My sin is always before me. I can't go to bed tonight, God, because it's before me. I better repent to my wife. I better text Pastor Berto if I lost my temper with him. I better walk back into the post office and say, sorry for being snippy with you because my sin, it's always before me. It's always before me. I can't fool anybody. I know it's before me. I'll be honest with you, God. It's always before me. I see it everywhere I go. And against you, and against you only have I sinned, God. It's against you. It's not that I just sinned against my wife. It's not that I just sinned against this person. It's not that I just sinned against that covenant. No, God, God, when I looked at that thing, when I spoke that way, when I acted that way, God, it was you I sinned against, my creator, the one who made me. It's against you and you only I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. You're right, God. 
I deserve death. I deserve hell. You're right. One sin got Adam and Eve kicked out the garden. Today I stand in that same kind of a sin. I deserve your wrath. You are right, God. You are right. No excuses. No plain big bad cop, good cop. Oh, well, God, shame on you for treating all them sinners that way. No, God, I know we all deserve it. I know, God. You're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. See, God, you knew I was born a sinner, but you, you loved me as a sinner. Yeah, you did, but you loved me too much to let me stay that way. And so even when I was born a sinner, you desired, you desired faithfulness. The shield of faith. Faithfulness. You desired it. And you taught me wisdom in the secret place. Now cleanse me with hyssop, which is the stick they would use when they would dip it in the animal's blood and put it on the altar. Cleanse me with it. And I will be jacked up because nobody's perfect. No. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Blot it out. Wash it away, Jesus. I, I don't want it. I don't want it, Jesus. Blot it out. You will never be forgiven of any sin until when you ask for forgiveness, you don't want to do that sin again. You all understand that? If in your mind, when you pray to God to forgive you, if you're thinking, I will do this again to receive forgiveness, you are a fool. You are making God out to be less than the drug dealer down the street. The drug dealer down the street has enough common sense when people are manipulating them. You are a fool to think God doesn't know what you're doing. The only sins that get forgiven are the ones we don't want to do again. It's the only ones that get forgiven. It's when you say, I don't ever, I don't ever want to do it again. I can just remember the last couple of times when, you know, using my marriage as an example, the times I've gotten mad and it's been less and less. And obviously over 10 years, God has developed such a grace in my life for my marriage. But just the last couple of times, I think it's been almost two years now since we, we have yelled. Or wouldn't you say, how long has it been since we had a yelling argument fight? Maybe at the other, apart, uh, the other house, right? Yeah. That's been three years. See? That doesn't mean we always get along, but I'm, I'm talking to married couples here. Don't give me that baloney that you have to yell and scream, hello. God convicted us of it. We haven't done it in three years. Why? Because that last time I did it, I said, I don't ever want to do this again. Ever, ever, ever. We can disagree. We can make mistakes. But I am never raising my voice and yelling at you like that again. Forgive me. Forgive me. God, it's before me. You're just in judging me. Have mercy on me. Wash it away, God. Wash it away. Give me peace for my wife. Give me patience. Give me love. Give me joy. If I see myself going down that road, make a way of escape. Lead me in your paths of righteousness. Don't give me more than I can bear. Be faithful. Faithful to me, O oh God, because you are. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. See, I want a pure heart. That's how you know you're, you want forgiveness is I want a pure heart. That means the person who lied on their taxes and said, Lord, forgive me, they go back and make it right and don't lie on it again. That means the person who's doing wrong right now, they say, I'm done with it. I make amends. I make it right. And I want a pure heart. Why? Verse 11. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Some people think they're playing with God. You're, you're going to sin, ask for forgiveness. God already knows that. He'll take his spirit from you. He'll take you out of his presence. 
Restore to me, listen, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Am I teaching you today to turn back to God? Then it's worked for me. You have now a saved sinner, a saint, who has been turned from his sins, coming to you going, I willingly want to serve God because he's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. His commands are not a burden. They are a joy. He has put a new heart within me. He has cleansed me. Has anybody else's heart been cleansed? Amen. So what does this mean for us today? That we should pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. With this in mind, we should be alert and keep on praying for all of God's people, the Lord's people. We, you should pray for me, Paul is saying, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known to you the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. He was locked up in jail. Pray that I may fearlessly declare it as I should. Have I done that as Paul did to you today? Did I fiercely declare the word of God to you? Yes or no? Did I give it to you straight today? then I've done my job. The prayer's been answered today, has it not? Now I pray for you to go do the same. Go proclaim the word of God fearlessly. Proclaim the mystery of the gospel that says God loves sinners but changes them into saints. That's a mystery. God puts a new person on the inside of you. That's a mystery. God makes you strong against the temptations of the world. That's a mystery, but it works, amen? So I have here the whole summary of that passage, which I won't get into. But let me just say, as we look at the armor here, as we did last week, we see that these things are symbolic for what God does in our life. The belt of truth holding up our spiritual pants stands for the teachings of Jesus Christ that we keep center in our life. The breastplate of righteousness is literally the righteousness of Christ guarding our heart. The uh, helmet of salvation guarding our mind and protecting us with the thoughts of Christ. The gospel shoes that we put on leading us and protecting us into the ways of God doing as all things unto Christ, our jobs, our, our families, our marriages, our shield of faith Distinguishing all of the attacks of the enemy against our mind, against our life. We use the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. Distinguishing the, uh, the flaming arrows. And then with the word of God, we're still putting it into the enemy and telling him he has to go. He will not win. We are victors in Christ. When we talk about all kinds of prayers, there's really about nine different kinds of prayers when you look at the Bible. That if you pray meaningfully, you will see power in. The prayer of request when you're asking God for things in Jesus' name. You know, like, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer of request. The prayer of repentance, what I just showed you in Psalm 51. When you do sin, because Christians will sin and make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we're still not who we are in Christ. But when we sin, we truly pray prayers of repentance. How many know what a prayer of repentance is now? Was that rabbit trail worth going down? Amen? That was a good trail to take. The prayer of intercession. That's when you pray for others to be saved. Jesus prayed for us. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You plead with God for others to be forgiven. The prayer of thanksgiving, letting God know how thankful for you are for all that he's already done in your life. This will help you mentally as well as they talk about gratitude, being a mental, um, uh, releasing endorphins and good feelings into your life as you think of all the good memories. And this is part of our prayer time, is giving God glory for all of that. Praying in unknown tongues. We are a spirit-filled church. The apostles prayed in tongues. We pray in tongues. This is an unknown language. It's a mystery, but it's yet us praying the will of God with the words of God. They don't speak English in heaven. They don't go, hey, que paso? What's going on, Holmes? They have languages, plural, heavenly languages, languages of angels. You've heard that in a wedding before, haven't you? 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the languages of angels and of men and have not love, right? These are the, the language of the Holy Spirit, and we've been given those. The prayer of faith, as I was teaching you in the Psalms, the declaring what God says to be true, declaring it 
the Lord is my shepherd. He's not going to be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I speak it by faith. And see, that becomes a sword into the enemy. Uh, speaking the word, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me, right? Praying the prayer of faith. The prayer of agreement, us praying together. Two or three gathering in his name. He is there with us. The prayer of spiritual warfare. When we attack the devil, when we go after him and we say, Satan, you lose the city of Chicago. Just see whatever evil you uh, think of whatever evil you see in Chicago and attack it in prayer. I see violence. Okay, well, pray against that. Satan, loose our city from violence. Does it work? Yes, it does. People in jails get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, I've gotten saved and I was arrested eight times. God sets us free. He cannot make us stop doing what we're doing, but he gives us the opportunity. He, he gives us more chances. While you are praying for jails, uh, for crime and to stop and gang members to be saved, you're praying for gospel preachers to go and for their eyes and ears to be open to get another opportunity. So, for example, if you want to be a little theatrical about a th- theatrical, imagine right now a gangbanger is about ready to die, but you pray, God, I pray for gangs to get saved. God may spare that man today to hear the gospel at tomorrow when someone witnesses to him because you prayed for gang members to be saved. Heaven will only tell what we did in spiritual warfare. I don't have time to get all into that, but that is true. It is true. Look through your Bible. We wage war in prayer, and we win, and heaven will tell the story. And then the prayer that puts these all together is the prayer of persistence. How long do we keep praying these things? Until the answer comes, or until we go to heaven and God explains why the answer didn't come. But we don't stop praying. We become that persistent widow. So what is the lesson that we've learned in this sermon series? Put on the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. Stand in what he's told you to do and pray. It's that simple. Does everybody get it? How many understand it? Let me just do the Polish thing right here and repeat it to you again. Amen? I'm half Polish, so i got to call it my Polish side here a little bit. What do we do? Be strong in the Lord. That's what we learned in that passage. Number two, stand against the schemes of the devil. Remember the battle's not against people. Put on the full armor of God, those things that we've learned about, and then pray. Pray with passion. Pray until the answers come. Now, are you ready for the message? Can I hear an amen? Here's the message in summary in closing. Here's the message. There are two battlegrounds you're going to fight. Two battlegrounds the Christian will fight. The Christian who knows who they are. Am I speaking to people who are finally ready to fight like God told them to fight? You ready to fight like a Christian? You ready to fight like a disciple? Not against people, but against these authorities and powers of Satan? Here's how we do it. We stand in who God told us to be. That is the first battleground. You see, because if the devil right now, listen, if the devil is going to come against you, He's going to come against you based on your identity, based on the lust of the flesh, the same way he came against Jesus. But Jesus stood his ground, right? So the battle you and I will face the rest of our life, if Jesus faced it, you're going to face it. For the rest of our life as Christians is to stand on what God has promised and who he said we were. Did God promise you salvation? When the devil says there is no God, what do you do? Put up the shield of faith, the word of God. And say, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I pitied a fool. I ain't no fool. I believe in God. Stand your ground for salvation. Amen? Stand your ground for holiness. Did the Bible say, be holy for I am holy? Be perfect for your heavenly Father is perfect? Did he, the Bible not say that? So when the devil says, look at your past, what are you going to tell him? Look at your future, devil. You're going to the lake of fire. I am who God said I am. I can do just what he said I can do. If he could change Paul from a murderer to the apostle that wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, if he could take a coward like uh, uh, the disciples like Peter, who, who was chicken, didn't even confess Christ in front of a little girl, but he stood up on Pentecost with boldness, if God could make those holy men holy, he could make me holy and keep me holy. Amen? Sound mind? Devil make you think you're going crazy? 
make you think you're depressed and anxious, even from your own experiences in life. People have post-traumatic stress and all of these things that now psychologists are trying to figure out, but you know what they found out? 30% only recover from medication, and they give them placebos, and only 30% respond, uh, respond to placebos. That means that the medication is no different than the placebo. What they are finding out in modern-day psychology and neuroscience is that the greatest cure for depression and anxiety are the things you have just learned today. It is, it is tapping into your soul, changing your self-talk, getting rid of ants, automatic negative thoughts, and beginning to create a self-value and a self-worth. But what do we have that Oprah Winfrey and the self-help generation doesn't have? We have our, work, our worth from God because he says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're his masterpiece created in him to do good works. That will stand a lot better than just saying people love me, amen, or let's look at yourself in the mirror going, people like me. Stand on the word of God and watch how it transforms your mind. Peace. A blessed marriage. Anybody ever hear this at a wedding? What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Why do people get divorces? Right? Liar, liar, right? Did God fail them or did man fail them? Man failed them. So if man said, I did all that I can, did they really do all they can? No, they lied. No. Nope. Well, I did all I can after I cheated on my wife to make it better. Hold on, you did what? Let's back up. You cheated on her, then you did all you can. See, my friend, that's a fool right there. Don't cheat on your wife. Right? Don't neglect your husband, women. Right? Love each other as Christ loves the church. Honor and respect each other. Nothing will tear apart your marriage. How many want to bless marriage? A godly home. Ever heard this in the scripture? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Does anybody remember what the Philippian jailer was told by Paul and them? Today you and your household shall be saved. Sexual purity. Are you who you, some people say, was I born gay? I don't know if you were born gay. I know I could tell you one thing. I was born a sinner. Hey, but I needed to get born again. So if you felt that you were gay from a child, then yeah, maybe you were born gay. But here's the thing, get born again because you will not have that as an excuse on judgment day. Because a murderer was born a murderer. An adulterer was born an adulterer. An angry, bitter person was born an angry. You see, all it takes is us just to just reduce it down to that foolishness and nobody's responsible for sin anymore. Joy. How many want to stand and fight for joy? I'm so full of joy. Sometimes I get a little sassy in church, but, man, I am so full of joy. Would you not say that marks me in my house? Be honest right now. In front of these people, God is our witness. Is joy a part of my life? Joy is my life. The Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, and his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I grew up watching my dad have a prayer time. I grew up watching my parents pray and seek the Lord. But I chose to go to drugs for joy. I stepped out of God's promises, and I got beat up so bad by the devil. I'm telling you, so bad. But when I came back to Christ, I tasted and saw that there is nothing like the Lord. Do not let anybody take your joy. You know what the Bible says? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That means you don't stop. You don't stop. Some of us need to go back to those old hymns and really get them in our heart. We really need to dig down deep into what people sang four or five hundred years ago because we're not the only ones to deal with hard times. Do you know that people would bury their children? Most of their children would die of disease and these infant, you know, these things that they would have as infants. Some of them would lose half their children and they would bury them. They would die at early ages, yet they would serve God. And they would write songs like this. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art, thou my best thought, by day or by night. 
Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom, be thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Be thou my battle, shield, sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul's shelter, and thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. This is my favorite line right here as a pastor. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and Thou only are first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. See, that's how you fight. That's how you, I'm not a singer, but I'm a worshiper, amen? That's how you fight. That's how you get up in the morning. That's what you tell your soul. God is my vision. God is my treasure. God is my battle shield. God is my sword. God is my all in all, no matter what comes my way. And then you know what? If you are truly who God said you are, and you are ready to fight for your own, uh, you're standing in your own victory and what Christ gave you, in Christ's victory rather, you are now ready to storm the gates of hell. Because Paul then said, pray also for me that whenever I speak, my word, the words may be given that I may fiercely make known the gospel. You see, Easter is coming up and there's more opportunities at this time of the year than any other time for us to bring our friends and family to church. Not to hear an ear-tickling gospel because that's not why you're here, but to hear a true gospel, a powerful gospel that defeats the gates of hell in which they've been held back in. You can just imagine what it looks like in heaven when you start preaching to your friends and family. When you start sharing with them the truth of the gospel, their lives begin to change. Their eyes begin to open. They literally hear the salvation message of heaven. They are having out to them, outstretched to them, the right hand of God. The lifeboat has come to them. And if they accept heaven's 
promise of salvation, they become like you and I, brothers and sisters of Christ, in the body of Christ, loved by God, treasures forever, seated with him, ready to inherit his kingdom to come. Can I ask you a question? Will you fight with me for your family this month? Will you fight with me for your family? Because I want to pray with you. I want as many of you who want me to pray this month for your family, Facebook me their names. And you have my word that as often as I remember them, I will pray for them. And then I want you to pray for me that I would fearlessly declare the gospel on Easter, even if it's a little longer Easter service, even if it's crazy like some of our services are. But, hey, you're crazy enough to come too, right? So if we're crazy, we're all crazy for Jesus. Because we believe there's power in the blood of Jesus, and we believe he's worth more than a Cubs game, a Sox game, or a Transformers movie, or a concert. All those things are more than three hours. Hello, somebody. So would you let me pray for you, and would you pray for me? Because I want to pray for your family. Did I not write you? I did, didn't I? I wrote, I wrote William already, and I said, let me know your family. I want to pray for them. I want to know. I want to pray for them. I want to go to war for them. Flesh and blood is not my enemy. If your family belongs to another religion or a, or a different belief system, they're not my enemy. It doesn't matter who they are. I love them with the love of Christ because Christ told me to love them, and I know they're special, and I know if God saved me, he can save them. So what I do is I look at those names, and I start to pray, and you can pray the same way. I'm just going to say, Jesus, save them. Save Will's dad, Lord. Give his dad a chance to hear the gospel. Save Will's mom. Save Elisa's mom. Save her family. I'm going to say, save whoever you give me to pray for. And then would you pray for me? Because this cannot just be a message we now move on past. This is a message we move with. We need to do battle now until Jesus comes back. We have to wage war. I even look right here at my friend. I, I forgot your name, but I know you're Isaiah's sister. What's your name? Monica, thank you. You know, I know I always just forget when I'm up here a lot on my mind. But Monica, I give you my word. I'll come with you. You go to UIC, right? Northeastern. I'll come with you to Northeastern to talk to your friends. Me and another pastor, I won't meet you by myself because that could be a place of temptation. Amen. It's not for her, but for me. I'm not going to go by myself. A little awkward. Okay. But I will come with another pastor. We will go to your school because guess where I'm going to be tomorrow? I'm going to be at Wright College standing out there in the corners talking about Jesus. I'll come with you to do that. Let me pray for you. Let our church pray for you. And let's fight. Let's ascend the gates of hell. Let's conquer them in Jesus' name. So whether or not, my friends, you are fighting for your personal victory or you're fighting for the victory of others, remember this. Jesus is our conquering king. Jesus is victorious. In Latin, Christus victor. He is the victor over all sin, over death, hell, and the grave, and over the devil. Are you ready now to win? I would like to see us come back at Easter with this place full. And as you see me in the heat of battle, I would like you to know that I am standing there on your behalf. And not even just for Easter, but whenever you come to this church and you're a believer in Christ, that you would see he is fighting on my behalf. The blood, sweat, and tears of my pastor is for my behalf and for this city, right? And then when I pray for you, I'm praying on your behalf that you'll be bold, that you'll talk to your relatives. You'll tell them about Jesus. Amen? Let us just have Rachel come, and quietly, would you make a place of prayer right now and to search your heart to see if you are in victory. We don't use the word liar lightly here, and we don't use the word hell lightly, but we have discussed those things, so let's take it serious. The Bible says that the person is a liar who says they know Christ but doesn't do what he commands. The person that goes to hell can be a liar along with all of these other things, but specifically, liars will go to hell, right? 
Would you search your heart and look inside of who you are and ask, am I a liar or do I truly know Christ? If you find yourself to be a liar, would you pray the prayer of repentance and fight for your own soul right now? Fight for your own soul. If you think for a minute that I don't take this first part for my own self, you do not know me. I fear God, friends. I pray this for myself right now. I want to be sure. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. I've had too many of my friends quit ministry, have affairs, steal, lie, all that nasty stuff. I'm looking at my own heart. God, am I a liar or am I who you said I am or who I think I am rather? Psalms 139 says, try me, Lord, test me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of everlasting life. If you are a liar here today or have found yourself to be untrue to what God has taught, you're breaking his commands. Can I give you good news, the gospel? Jesus loves liars. Jesus loves sinners. But he loves us too much to let us stay that way. If that is you and you want to change, would you just ask Christ to forgive you, to shine his light in your dark heart, to wash you clean, to cleanse you? Nobody will call you out here. This is between you and God. God, wash me clean. Oh, God, put a new heart in me. And oh, God, wash me clean. Oh, God, put a new Shine your light of love. Shine your light of love. From the beginning now. Oh, God, new heart in me. Would you put those words up? And oh, God. Wash me clean. Come on, oh God, put a new heart. And oh God, put a new heart in me. And oh God, wash me clean. Shine, shine your light of love in me. Shine your Come on, shine Shine your light of love in me. Shine your light. Just write those words down so they can see them. One more time. Oh, God, give me a new heart. Oh, God, make my heart clean. And oh, God. Cleanse me, cleanse me, and oh God, and make my heart clean. 
And oh God, cleanse me, shine, shine your light of love in me, shine your light. Come on, can I get Jerry up here? We're going to sing it a few more times. If you're serious, just keep praying right now. This is a chance for you to worship or pray, to get serious with God. Don't walk out of here the same way you came in. It's not a preacher that will change you. It's the power of God. Come on, we're going to sing it just a few more times. The shine your light, shine your light of love in me. Shine your light. Thank you, Lord. One more time from the top, oh God. And oh God, make my heart clean. And oh God, cleanse me. And oh God, make my heart clean. Come on up here, sister, sing it. I want you guys to sing it a few more times before we go to the next part. Now shine your light. Shine your light of love. Are some of you getting free right now? Are you sensing God in this place? I believe it. I believe God is here. I believe God's changing lives. Does anybody else believe that? Shine your light of love. Just a few more times. Shine your light. Shine your light of love in me. Shine your light of love in me. Now this is what I want us to do. If you're already standing in the back, would you grab a seat with me? And Jerry, if you can, would you grab a seat there? And I'm just going to pop a squat right here because this is what we're going to do symbolically, just like Paul used the illustration of a Roman soldier for us fighting the battle, the good fight of faith. We're going to use the illustration of us standing to our feet as in standing in the victory of God. And so this is what I want us to do. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But this is what I think for those who have an open heart should do, and it will change your life. I really believe it. And that is as we stand on the count of three, you are going to shout out the victories you're standing in. Whether you're in the battle or not, whether you're still in the struggle or not, whether it's easy or not, you're going to stand to your feet and start shouting out what you believe you have victory in through Jesus. For some of you, you're going to stand up and say, I'm victorious over pornography. I'm victorious over depression. I stand in joy. I stand in peace. I stand for my family. I mean, come on. It's going to be so meaningful for so many of you here. We're going to stand. And then you know what we're going to do? Then we're going to intercede for others. But first, we're going to stand in our own victory. We're going to stand for what Christ died on the cross to give us. Are you ready? On the count of three, one, are you finally ready to stand strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? Two, are you ready to put on the full armor of God so that when that day of evil comes, you will stand and having done everything, you will stand again? Are you ready? One, two, three. I stand in the victory of the Lord. 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 I stand in the
Jesus, here is where we Come on back up, Jerry. Help us, please. Here. Oh, here is where we make our stand. And on the word of God, on his word. Come on, sing it out. Here is where. Oh, here is where we make Come on, Ricky, get to the drums, please. Come on. Oh, here is where we make our stand. Yes, here is where we make our stand on your word. Yes. Come on. Come on, sing it out. Come on, a few more times. Here. Here is where we make our stand. Yes, it is. Here is where we make our stand for our families, for this generation, for our freedom. Here is where we make our stand on your word. A few more times if you believe and shout it. It's where we make our stand. Just the voice that said the drums. One more time. Here. Here is where. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, come on. Here is where we make our stand. Let's sing it out now. Here is where we make our stand. Come on. On your word. Come on. Who else is going to stand? Time I'm feeling Jesus in this place. Whoa, here is where we make our stand. Yes, Lord, here is where we make our stand. Oh, here is where we make our stand on your word of God. Yes, let our shout of victory come on, saints. you're going to fight for right now three people you want to see come to this church and get saved come on three people you're going to go to battle for right now name out their names come on who do you want to go to battle for will who do you want to see get saved 
my friend Isaiah saved, my friend Tyke saved. I want to see my uncle Frog saved. Yes, Lord. How many believe God can do that? Say amen. That's the prayer of agreement. Who do you want to see get saved, Shamel? Shamel. I want to see my friend James get saved. I want to see my friend William get saved. And I want to see my friend Golago. Come on, everybody say amen. amen Jesus. Come on, Natalia. Who do you want to see get saved? Oh, there you go. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. And here is where we may. I'm standing for her right now and her friends, her mom. Come on, here is where we may. Come on, anybody else going to stand with somebody today for their lost friend, lost loved one? Come on, I'm standing with the West Side today. We make our stand on your word. Oh, God. Come on, who are your three? Just shouting them out right now to the Lord as we keep singing. Come on, Steve, Michelle, keep singing, Sherry. Come on, you guys, name them out. Come on, God can hear your prayers. Come on, shout out their names. Steve, Michelle, Asta, Vivek. Come on, Vicky, Nick. Here's where I make my stand, devil. Loose them. Let them go. I stand for Northeastern. UIC, Wright College. On your word, oh 15 God. more seconds. 15 more seconds. Let's make war. Let's make war. Here is where, here is where. we make yes. our stand. Oh, here is where Jesus. we make Jesus our stand. Is Lord. Oh, here is where Save them. we make our Save them. stand. If you believe it, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Altar workers, would you come? We're going to dismiss. Thank you for your patience today. If you need prayer for anything, anything you want a brother or sister to agree with you in, just come up here. We'll pray with you. No condo bondo, no judgment. We'll lift up the word of God with you, for you, because we believe God is able. But how many are going to make a stand? Man, it's time, isn't it, Shamal? It's time. The west side belongs to who? Jesus. Come on, who does the west side belong to? Jesus. Right? Who does the south side belong to? Jesus. Jesus. Who does Belmont and Clark belong to? Jesus. Come on. Who does downtown and the loop belong to? Jesus. 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 Jesus, 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 Pimp the devil like a boss. Make disciples at all costs. Go forth and preach the cross. The cross. Amen? Amen. Come on, William. You want to pray for us? Oh, you were so yeah. oh. oh, 
Lord and Father Jesus Christ, I thank you for this moment right now. I thank you that you give me the spirit to set this place on fire, Lord. Yes, I want to set the world on fire for you, Lord. I want to set every person I ever know that love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on, can I get an amen, everybody? Come on. Slap your neighbor high five and say, let's get it on. God bless you. Come on, keep singing it as you go. Thank you. Have a great week. We love you. for the city today all sufficient. all sufficient we sing this on behalf of Chicago for the glory of God Chicago it's time for you to receive the grace of God Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. 
you, Jesus. Thank you for every chain that's broken here today. The devil is a liar, and we lift Jesus higher. Holy Spirit, set us on fire. Just like this, Jerry, come on. The devil is a liar, but we lift Jesus higher. We call on the Holy Spirit to set us on fire. 